It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk, where we're going out of the gate here, it requires me to give you a disclosure, I think. Um, and that disclosure is that I own stock in Apple and Facebook. Uh, and I think they, they got it wrong in how they handled Alex Jones today. Also, Facebook was a sponsor to the resurgent gathering, uh, this past weekend. I actually, uh, sat on stage with Kevin Martin, the, the senior vice president of public policy in North America for, uh, Facebook. He's the former chairman of the FCC. Talk to him a lot of, uh, about the banning issue and what they ban at Facebook. This was before the news broke of Alex Jones. I think Apple, though, led the way here. Apple uh, deciding to get rid of Alex Jones's podcasts. Uh, they, they've left the InfoWars app on the, I, the App Store. It's access to the podcast that they've gotten rid of for hate speech, they said. And then Facebook followed suit and, and other platforms as well. You can still, what this does not mean is that you can't get Alex Jones on the internet. Uh, you can go to whatever his website is. I have no idea what his websites are. I, I'm, I'm not an Alex Jones fan by any means, and you shouldn't be either. Uh, but if you are, you can still find him on the internet. You can still get his app from the Apple App Store and from the Google Play Store. And you can get his content you just can't get his podcasts over iTunes. You can get his podcast from his own website and have it uh, play in your uh, podcast app on your phone. You just can't get it through Apple. Now, why are they doing this? Here's the problem. And we got to have a nuanced conversation here. And no one seems to want these nuanced conversations. Uh, the first thing is you need to own your content if you're on the Internet. Uh, you know, we moved the resurgent.com, for example, to the Maven platform uh, at the end of last year. And it's just increasingly apparent to me that we've got to we got to make a move back uh, so that we own everything. We, we own the content and they're a great platform and I, I don't have any worries about them, but I just I want to own it. Um, and if they can change the character count in a title or or require certain things to get content up, like require a picture and stuff, then I, then I don't own my content. You got to own it. And Alex Jones owns his content. He owns his domains on the Internet. Uh, you can you absolutely can go on the Internet and find him. What Apple and these other companies have done, though, is they've decided that because of his hate speech, they are not allowing him to use their platforms. Facebook is a little more nuanced than Apple in that they're saying repeated violation of their terms of service. And Facebook is pointing to his slander of the Sandy Hook families claiming the kids were actors and that it was all staged peddling this conspiracy theory. He's in a lawsuit with these families right now. I but the hate speech label that Apple and others are labeling, I think is bad. Listen, I don't have a problem with the private company telling a citizen, you can't use our network. This is not censorship per se, because it's not the government doing it. It's a private company and private companies can tell people whether or not they want you on their platform, but there's something bigger happening here. So here's the thing by saying hate speech, it allows them a nebulousness to 
banning people they don't like. Media Matters, the left-wing activist site, is already demanding that Facebook and Apple and whatnot uh, ban climate deniers. Well, there are a lot of people, including prominent scientists around the world, who aren't down with the left's interpretation of global warming. Some don't even believe in global warming. Some think it's a natural phenomenon. And if you're going to ban hate speech, why not? People who supposedly peddle conspiracies about global warming because they disagree. You see where this goes. How long will it be before Apple says you can't have a podcast if you say transgenderism is a mental health issue? And it is a mental health issue. But but the left doesn't believe it and the left thinks it's a hate crime to say it's a mental health issue. How many people are going to get their, how many churches are going to get taken off of iTunes? What about gay marriage? What if you say it's a sin? What if you say homosexuality is a sin? You quote the Bible. Uh, the left say, says that's hate speech. You, you got you to gotta stop that. What about guns? Peddling guns, supporting gun rights. Is, is that hate speech? It's, is peddling violence? That's what the left says. So when do you take that down? And see, these, these different categories allow these companies to be very nebulous in when they do it and how they do it. Had they just said, look, Alex Jones slandered these people, he's, he's been sued for it, and made it about this specific case and said, this is not the first time he's done this, well, that's why we're targeting him, we're not targeting other people, we're not targeting people for, for political opinions, we're targeting people for slander and libel, who have slandered and libeled people, and that's our cl- class of people. It's very clear then what class of people can't use the platform, the people who slander and libel, and that is a legal category with defined parameters. Hate speech makes it very nebulous, and they can come after you and they can come after me. That's why it's problematic for Apple to have led the way on this using the hate speech label. But there's more to it than that even. When you say someone's views are inappropriate because they're hateful, what you're doing is you're making that person a martyr. See, this is only going to help Alex Jones. I mean, this is going to actually expand his reach. Because there are a lot of people out there, you know them and I know them, you may be one, who believes that the government and private corporations and others that they censor or deny access to or try to hide away keepers of secret knowledge. Gnosticism. I mean, this goes all the way back to the very first first two people. Eve and then Adam wanted to take a bite of the forbidden fruit to see what God was keeping from them, the knowledge of good and evil. They, they wanted that knowledge. And essentially what these companies are saying is that Alex Jones is the guardian of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're not allowed to listen to Alex Jones. <laughs> Coincidentally, it's, it's Apple doing it, the irony there. You can't take a bite out of the apple of Alex Jones Because then you will know the good and the evil that Alex Jones is sharing. It makes him a keeper of something special and mystic and and exclusive. 
by saying you can't listen to him on our platform because he says things we don't like. Well, you, these are progressive corporations. So why are these progressive corporations hiding Alex Jones from us, get, denying us access? We're going to go seek him out and we will have the knowledge that gives us a leg up on everyone else. That's part of the thing with, with cults. That's part of the thing with conspiracy theories. People who believe that by joining this cult, they're going to get some special knowledge of eternity, some special knowledge of living their life better. I mean, that, that's one of the things, frankly, that separates Christianity from a lot of cults is that in Christianity, everything's there. You just read the Bible. It's there. You, you can find it out. There's no hidden knowledge. In, in the early rise of the church, the counterparts were all Gnostics who believed there, were, there was actually a secret path, a secret knowledge, a secret secret from God that you had to join the cult to find out. The Gnostics believed. And that's what Apple and Facebook and these others are doing by tossing Alex Jones together, all together. They're suggesting to some people that Alex Jones has something that they want to make sure you don't find. And some people are going to think this must be the secret to life or success or what's really going on out there. And it makes him profoundly important to people who really are in search of that sort of knowledge, people susceptible to Gnosticism and cults and the like. And there are a lot more people out there susceptible to those things than you might think, including the very first woman who ever walked planet Earth and bit an apple after a talking snake said, do this because he's God's keeping something from you. They make Alex Jones that apple. And it's Apple Computer that did it. That gives Alex Jones too much power. People go in search of this stuff and they shouldn't have done it because of that. They, they really should not have done it because of that. They really should have said, listen, we're not banning him because of hate speech. We're not banning him because he says things we don't like. We're banning him because he said those kids who died at Sandy Hook, they're, they're actors. Then none of this really happened. He slandered these people. They're suing him. Hold off until you get a court judgment against him and then say you're gone because of that, not because of hate speech. It gives the left too much power to censor speech they don't like and suggest that it's speech worth seeking out because they don't like it. And that's a problem. It gives him too much power in the discussion. Oh, let me rearrange my sound here so I can actually go to break now, huh? It is 27 after the hour. The phone number here is 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Y'all, listen, three and a half, four weeks ago, we did not have the sponsors locked in for the resurgent gathering. We did not have the speakers locked in, and we were less than 200 people coming. And I literally was waking up every night at three o'clock in the morning, freaked out. Uh, and it got so bad, I was forcing myself to stay awake until one or two o'clock in the morning, thinking that I would then at least be able to sleep until seven or eight before I woke up freaked out. Um, by then, it would be time to get up anyway. And I was still instead waking up at three o'clock in the morning, freaking out. And I found myself every night just going into our, our walk-in closet and just getting on my knees and praying hard. Uh, that this thing was going to come crashing down around me and it was going to be a disaster. And in that three and a half, four week period, 
Now, the sponsorships all got secured, the speakers all locked in, and we wound up having 300 people in Austin this weekend for a very successful event, including Brian Kipp, uh, flew in and out on Saturday. David Perdue came by, Ted Cruz, Rick Perry, Mark Walker, the congressman from North Carolina, Jody Heiss, congressman from Georgia, Warren Davidson, the governor of Texas was there. We're going to do it in Atlanta. I'm hoping to do it at the Omni Hotel built up there at the Battery by the Brave Stadium. We're going to do it in 2019. If you want details, if you want to go in and register for a discount price, text the word Atlanta to 345-345. Looks like we'll be doing it in a year here in Atlanta, and then it'll be presidential season, so we'll have even fancier guests. It is 41 after the hour. Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Just so you guys know, the radar in Atlanta is clear, but there are some really, really strong storms. In fact, there's a severe thunderstorm warning to the east of Gainesville, north of Athens. It's outside the listening area, uh, the Tacoa area, but there's other storms circling down from Chattanooga to North Georgia, so you may see some thunderstorms this evening. Hopefully, as it cools down, though, uh, they will avoid us. Uh, we got to get into some state politics. I talked to Brian Kemp at the resurgent gathering uh, this weekend in Austin. Sorry, my brain's a little bit tired here. Talk to him in Austin. I want to play one clip of his, just just briefly, this clip. Uh, I asked him about keeping his promises and trust and raise the RIFRA issue that Republicans in Georgia have forever been saying they were going to do it, and now they won't. And his answer is, it's, it's time to do it, get it off the table, or we're going to keep fighting about it. No, well, hang on. I'm going to have to work on this audio. It, it is, it's messy. Sorry, it's too low for me to play on air. Uh, it sounds fine on my computer, but when I try to play it through the speaker, it's not coming up, so I, I'll fix it and play. Basically, though, what he says is that Georgians are worried about losing the film industry, but they've also got legitimate concerns about trust and Republicans saying they aren't going to pass this. And he says Nathan Deal voted for this law when he was in Congress. Uh, so did a number of the Democratic members of Congress who are still represent Georgia. Bill Clinton signed it. Chuck Schumer supported it. So why not pass the federal language and join the 33 other states who already have it? And go on, do it strategically, get it off the table quickly, and move on to other stuff. It doesn't apply between private citizens and in contractors. It only applies to the state forcing uh, people of faith to do things the state wants done that violate their religion. He also went after Stacey Abrams for her liberalism that has really exploded over the last 72 hours, causing heartburn for a number of Georgia Republicans with what she's done. So Abrams has come out in favor of giving illegal aliens the Hope Scholarship. Probably not going to play well. She also um, seemed to be critical of police in a speech, and she's trying to walk back her... Uh, tearing down Stone Mountain bit, but I don't know that that's going to work well because as much as she's trying to distance herself from it, it's still there and she's still got to talk about it. So let me let me give you this. Uh, she was up in North Georgia over the weekend while Brian Kemp was with me. She was in Dalton 
And she says, let let me read you the account of the uh, Chattanooga Free Press. She spoke passionately about the need to remove Confederate statues or in the case of Stone Mountain to at least provide more context about Georgia's history of slavery. To at least provide more context. Now, what she's doing there is she's trying to walk away from her statement that she wants to tear down Stone Mountain, but she still says we need to remove Confederate statues. So she at least wants to provide additional context on Stone Mountain at at a minimum, she's saying. In other words, she would still be fine with, with tearing down Stone Mountain and getting rid of conser- Confederate statues, which, by the way, you know, the polling suggests even Democrats are not inclined to go along with that. So we've got, let us let, let me get you where we are with Stacey Abrams right now. She wants to give scholarships, hope scholarships to illegal aliens. She wants to tear down Stone Mountain and remove the Confederate statues. And she's meeting with uh, the left-wing wackadoo, Linda Sarsour, the apologist for Sharia. She actually tweeted this out. Proud to stand with activist, organizer, and Women's March National Co-Chair Linda Sarsour during Women's March 2018. When women speak up, stand up, and show up for progress, incredible things happen. Let's get to work. Now, the crazy thing here is that she's now running this back. Her campaign released a statement on Linda Sarsour saying, Stacey Abrams met Linda Sarsour in Sarsour's capacity as a leader of the Women's March anniversary in Georgia, which leader Abrams attended. To my knowledge, this is the one time they've met Abrams and Sarsour disagree on many issues, but say the commitment to advance women's rights. So she's, she's proud to stand with her but then wants to distance herself. I, I do have to say, I, I, I think the AJC should have phrased this differently. Um, they, they said Georgia conservatives have shared the image of Abrams and Sarsour. It would not really that they've shared the image so much as they've retweeted Stacey Abrams, who herself said she's proud to stand with Linda Sarsour. Linda Sarsour, for those of you who don't know, is a radical leftist who also is an apologist for Sharia law. Think about that. Think about that for a moment. Um, you know, to her credit, Brian Kemp and I talked about this on stage at the Resurgent Gathering. Stacey Abrams owns her progressivism. She's not going to try to run to the center, although she's walking back her uh, tear up Stone Mountain. She's owning her progressivism. She's saying that I, I'm not going to try to be a moderate because I'm not a moderate. I'm a progressive. I think it's right. I'm going to own it. Brian Kemp told me, well, he's going to own being a conservative. And he thinks there are more conservatives than progressives in Georgia. I think he's right. Uh, but, man, there are a lot of Democrats right now who have heartburn over Stacey Abrams tying herself to people like Sarsour and doubling down on scholarships for illegal aliens and tearing down Stone Mountain. It is 55 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. When we come back, uh, we'll get into what David Perdue said at the Resurgent Gathering and also Brian Kemp, what he had to say. Um, I only briefly want to touch on here the president's tweet about the uh, conversation in Trump Tower. According to the president's Twitter feed, he, he tweeted... Fake news reporting, a complete fabrication that I am concerned about the meeting my wonderful son Donald had in Trump Tower. This was a meeting to get information on an opponent, totally legal and done all the time in politics, and it went nowhere. I did not know about it. Now, the president we do know had released a statement that he himself really organized 
saying that it wasn't a meeting about Hillary. It was a meeting about uh, adoptions in Russia and the Magnitsky Act. I don't really care. The meeting was to get information on an opponent the president now tweets. I don't really care. Hillary Clinton hired an opposition research firm that hired Christopher Steele, who reached out to Russian agents to get dirt on Donald Trump. She did it too. And no one cares about Hillary Clinton doing it because she didn't win, and they wouldn't care about it if she did win. Both sides do it. The president's absolutely right here. This is not a story. It's nonsense for people to be outraged by this because Hillary Clinton did it too, and they don't care about that one. It is nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. No rain in the area. Uh, You head out past Commerce, though. There's a severe thunderstorm warning. It is not in the listening area, but... Oh, just give you a sense of where the storms are right now. Um, that one, it expires here shortly, though. So, and yeah, it, it's there's going to be more rain coming. But it looks like it'll be far to the east, actually, of the city, not west-east of the city. I said I wasn't going to talk much uh, more about the president's tweet over the Russia meeting, but Bob and Buford called, and he wanted to, to chat about it real quick. And let me go on before I move on to anything else and take Bob. Welcome to the program, Bob. Hey, Eric, thank you for taking my call. Yours is the best show on radio. Thank you very much. Hey, uh, the problem with the president's recent tweet is not so much the meeting that his son had. Um, It actually confirms a suspicion that I had a long time ago, but um, I don't think there's any there there. But the problem is he changed his story. Yeah. He initially said that it was uh, about adopting orphans from Russia, and then now he's changed his story and said that it was about something else. So I think the Democrats are going to rail about that part of it. Oh, I think they will. And, you know, this is also consistent with the president's behavior on James Comey. He told Lester Holt in that NBC News interview broadcast for everyone to see that he fired James Comey because of Russia now says he didn't fire James Comey because of Russia. The the inconsistencies and the walkbacks and stuff, I think, presents a problem to him. Um, you know, he is apparently there are multiple press reports out late this evening as I'm uh, as we're coming into this hour that the president really wants to have an interview with Bob Mueller. He wants to sit down with Mueller. He thinks he can defend himself better than his lawyers and White House aides are begging him not to because they're afraid the president might say something. And then if Mueller comes back to him, uh, contradict himself and that could set him up for a uh, perjury charge or something. And yeah, I think they got to be careful. The president does does frequently change his stories on these things or says there's more to the story that he hadn't revealed in the past. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that it's going to be a mistake if he if he does a, a personal one-on-one live interview or something, he's going to open himself up for a whole lot of, of uh, controversy. Yeah, I think so. Bob, thanks very much for the phone call. Yeah, I'm... 
I got a bad feeling. And, you know, I used to be in the camp of, of let him talk. He wants to talk, let him talk. And I don't know. And it is these sorts of things where he denied any knowledge of the meeting. Again, that is consistent. But we know from, well, we know from Hope Hicks under oath. We know from the president. We know from Sean Spicer and others. The president was deeply collaborative in that statement released as they were flying back from Europe last year that the president had no knowledge of this meeting in, in Trump Tower, but it was about, later relayed to him, I believe the statement said, about the Magnitsky Act and uh, adoptions in Russia, that there was nothing related to opposition research. And now the president's saying it is opposition research. I, again, though, I think it's worth pointing out, and the media is not going to point this out, I think it is worth pointing out, that Hillary Clinton was getting info from Russia about Donald Trump. I mean, and this goes to the, the, the consistency and the, the ideological consistency. If it's wrong for Donald Trump to get opposition research from the Russians about Hillary Clinton, it should be wrong for Hillary Clinton to get opposition research about Donald Trump from the Russians. If you say, well, Hillary Clinton didn't know she hired someone who hired someone, well, Donald Trump says he didn't know. Oh, well, I don't believe him, but you believe her. I see that's... No, if it's wrong for one, it's wrong for the other. And frankly, if it's opposition research, it's not stolen goods. If it's opposition research, it's in no way, shape, or form illegal. And even if it is stolen goods, if they didn't know it's not illegal, you may not like it. And I think it's gross, and I think it's gross on both sides. And it's par for the course, I think, for the Clintons to do something like that. And I mean, if Donald Trump did anything super wrong, it's that he behaved like the Clintons. And then beat them by behaving like them. So I, I really didn't intend to spend this long on it, but you know, Mark Thiessen at the Washington Post makes this point about the Clintons and he's getting savaged today from people, but he's right. Hillary Clinton hired Fusion GPS that used a guy, a former intelligence operative to get information about Donald Trump from the Russians. So if you're upset about Donald Trump getting information from the Russians about Hillary Clinton, you should be upset at Hillary Clinton getting information from the Russians about Donald Trump. And we see where this goes with the Democrats. They're trying to justify their outrage about Trump and their lack of outrage about Hillary Clinton by saying things like, oh, well, clearly he was coordinating with the Russian intelligence service to hack emails on Hillary Clinton. There's no proof of that. But the timing, the timing, most of those media reports about the timing have actually been off. It is, it's not amazing to me. It's not even surprising to me how often the media is getting the timeline wrong. How often the media doesn't understand these stories. I mean, take the Alex Jones thing. Um, Oliver Darcy, who I actually like. Oliver Darcy is a good guy. He works for CNN. One of their media reporters. He's out there today pointing out that Alex Jones got banned from Facebook and, and other platforms because it was the media pointing out to these companies that Alex Jones was violating their terms of service. We now have several dozen stories of the media targeting people on the right for losing their jobs or whatnot. It, it, they're not just reporting. They're being aggressively activists. We see this with CNN and gun control. CNN being aggressively partisan and aggressively activist in their stories about guns. 
where does it stop? We're we're living in age. I mean, look look at the mob. While we were gone this weekend to Austin for the resurgent gathering, the the museum in Washington D.C. a shrine to the First Amendment sold a T-shirt, and all it said was fake news. And reporters were outraged. How could their shrine sell a T-shirt called fake news? Well, the museum said they they support the First Amendment, and this is a relevant phrase in the media these days related to the news. So it was totally appropriate for them to sell it. But the media bullied and badgered and intimidated the museum into getting rid of it. The media is not just reporting stuff anymore. They've decided to engage in the news story. They're not just calling balls and strikes. They're not just looking at things saying, here's what happened, who, what, where, when, why, and how. They're also out there playing on one side of the field. And they're wondering why the president is attacking them, calling them the enemy of the people. Listen, I don't think the press is the enemy of the people. And I do think that the president risks as much danger inciting crazy people to go after members of the press as the press has inciting crazy people to go after Republicans. It is a tit for tat there, and I don't think either side should do it. But let's not kid people here. The media has gone hysterical with Republicans on gun control. They've gone hysterical with Republicans on health care. They've gone hysterical with Republicans on, on net neutrality, people. It's not just the Democrats. It is the media echoing these things. And then they're outraged when the tables turn. And they're, you can't do that to us. We got the First Amendment. We own the First Amendment. And the president's going to get us killed. Tell that to Steve Scalise. I think that if the media is going to engage as activists to try to have people fired and then brag about it, well, they're going to get treated like partisan activists. And they have no one to blame for this but themselves. It is 25 after the hour. I, I, I want to play you in, in juxtaposition uh, two things that happened. Um, this is from uh, MSNBC and Morning Joe. This is Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York playing to the left here. The National Rifle Association claims a legal battle with the state of New York is draining its bank account. Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on Friday that the state was moving to dismiss a lawsuit the NRA filed in federal court in May, which accused state officials of blacklisting them by preventing financial institutions and insurers in New York from doing business with the group. NRA told NPR that if insurers remain afraid to transact with the NRA, there is a substantial risk that NRA TV will be forced to cease operating. And the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, joins us now. Thank you very much, Governor. I understand there's a little bit of a delay here, but we'll get through it. Are you blacklisting the NRA? Thank you. No. What happened, Mika, is, uh, as you know, states regulate uh, the insurance industry within that state. Uh, and we have a law in New York that says you cannot insure someone for an intentional bad act. Uh, you can't insure someone for breaking the law. Uh, and this uh, insurance product was called Carry Guard. It was designed for people who carry weapons. Uh, and it basically insured them for an intentional bad act. The expression was murder insurance. Uh, the insurance company that was providing the product uh, 
paid a fine, they signed a consent order, they're no longer selling the product. The NRA was the broker on the product, essentially, and they were making a commission. And he goes on to say the NRA are bad guys, and he is won't lose any sleep if they get any less money to bully politicians. Now, contrast that with another exchange that happened on MSNBC, where you have an MSNBC analyst claim the NRA or that we're going to have a Charlie Hebdo situation. That's exactly it. They are not speaking up and it will be too late should there be a a national tragedy for them for them to speak up or for those nice Republicans in Congress who have been sort of mutedly saying, well, we don't quite like what the president is saying. This is why you take you you, you take a, a moral stand before the tragic event occurs. And this is the other thing. We're going to have a Charlie Hebdo situation here, without question, without question. It is going to happen because of the behavior of this president. And what the sky- So because of the behavior of the president attacking the media, we're going to have a Charlie Hebdo situation. But the governor of New York can go on television and call the NRA bad guys. Other Democrats can go on TV and call them terrorists. Are we going to have a Charlie Hebdo situation there? Well, of course not, because the NRA members have guns and the leftists don't. But you see my point here. Why is it you can call one side bad, but not the other? It is 40 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The storms are winding down, uh, and I do, I I, want to spend a few minutes here uh, recounting the last couple of days with you, uh, because you need to know this. It was really the beginning of the end of April, beginning of May, that we pulled the trigger on doing the resurgent gathering for this year. We decided to do it in Austin, Texas. I decided to do it in Austin, Texas, because I wanted to work with the Texas Public Policy Foundation and had a friend of mine who was working there. And then he left and decided to run for Congress and left it in other people's hands. And they did a tremendous job helping us this weekend in Austin. But it was it was a, a tough road to get there. Y'all, I woke up around my birthday in June and was having trouble breathing. And it was about 3 o'clock in the morning. And I realized it wasn't clots again. It wasn't a heart attack. It was a panic attack. And I basically did this for over a month every night. Every single night. And after a, a week or so of this, I finally found myself praying every night. You know, you, you, you pray, sorry for worrying, know it's a sin, help me out, and then pray scripture about, you say not worry, why am I worrying? And it, it, it didn't go away. You know, you, you go listen to, to a great self-help sermon from a lot of preachers, and they're going to tell you, you start praying about this, and your worries are going to go away. Just, just, just tell God to help me out, and it's all going to be better. And it wasn't. It just, it it continued every night. And if I wasn't worried about the, the gathering, I was worried about making ends meet for the family and, and some of the other struggles we're dealing with. And then I realized that we're going to have this thing the same week my wife's cancer scans are going on. And then we had speakers drop out and we couldn't get sponsors to, to fully commit. We couldn't get some speakers to fully commit. We couldn't get people in the room. And I'm finally, we go to Louisiana for the 4th of July week 
and there's no internet, there's no phone service. I can't even know what's going on and I just have to let it go. And I'm praying constantly. And the worry will get better for a few days and then it'll creep back in. And when it creeps back in, it's like a wave crashing over and it just gets worse. And I'm losing sleep. I'm up till two o'clock in the morning trying to will myself to stay awake so that when I sleep, I at least will sleep through all the night. And I find myself crashing at two o'clock in the morning, waking up at three o'clock in the morning, freaked out again. And it was, it was exhausting and it was time consuming. And then suddenly, I mean, really it just, all of a sudden things fell in place and it was just, I mean, I'm telling you, God's got this stuff and it is not when, when you people say you just pray about it and it'll take care of itself. The, the worries don't necessarily go away. The worry can become a habit, a bad habit, a sinful habit. And it was with me in this. And it's just been amazing to see people who long ago were put in my path, who faded away, who I haven't seen a year step back in and just boom, this whole thing fell into place. The sponsors came through, the speakers came through. We wound up with 300 people there. It, it was just, I mean, I, there were little things that could have been done better, but it was amazing. And all I can credit is, I mean, God making me get on my knees every night and pray about it. Uh, and it just it really, th- those of you who, who don't believe, I know you're not going to understand and you're going to think it was, it was this person or that person, but where do those people come from? They just all of a sudden stepped in and they're like, you know what? I'll take care of this for you. I'll take care of this for you. It, it was just fascinating to watch. And there are still worries and stuff, but the the, the whole punchline of it is I, I went to church with a buddy of mine on Sunday to a church whose pastor, I follow him on social media, and his entire sermon was on worry in and, and Matthew 6, 25 through 34 on don't worry and don't be anxious. And it was, it, it was not a cookie cutter sermon. It was just, it was new to me, the things he said, and it was like psh, mind blown. It's fascinating. And the event was a huge success a huge success with newsmakers and headlines across the country covering it. It was just fascinating to watch it all come together. I just, I wanted to share that with you. And I mean, I, I still have stresses and worries and now I find myself actually getting into the habit of, of praying about them preemptively before they get to the point of crisis and being a little more relaxed about these things. But I, I got to tell you, if, if there's one takeaway lesson Prayer does really work. I, I'm just even more committed to it after this. Having gone through a period where I really felt like I got this myself, I don't need God, and, and then to be thrown into a situation where it's like, you know, no, 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 you don't have this, but I do. But it takes some time to get into that habit. You get into this worry habit, and it really does become a bad habit. And it becomes such a bad habit that when you do start praying, you say, you know what, God says, he'll provide, he'll take care, don't worry about tomorrow, tomorrow will take care of itself, focus on today, and, and he's got this. It, it takes, it, it's not an immediate thing, and maybe it is for some people, it was not for me. It was it, forcing myself every night when I would wake up and my chest tight and freaking out about this to, to get out of bed and actually get on my knees, not just lay in bed, but get on my knees and actually pray. I mean, most of the time it was just heavy sighing more than more than audible words. Most of the time it wasn't out loud. And but just making myself do it. And every time I did it a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then another wave would crash over and I would have to do it harder and, and do it more often. And not just when I woke up in the night, but do it at my desk, do it in commercial break, do it all these things. And and everything worked out, y'all. Everything worked out. 
and we are going to do this again in Atlanta next year. And now we're going to have a year to do it. The sponsors were very happy. We are already getting people registering who were at the one in Austin, even people from Texas wanting to come now to Georgia. The TPPF folks wanting to come back and help us do it in Georgia. Uh, bigger, better speakers. I want to get folks from the White House there. Head into the presidential season. Unite the right against the left. Have policy discussions. Everybody in conversation. Not doing campaign speeches like we did. That's what we did in Texas. Is everybody sat on stage and talked to me? I asked questions. We exchanged information. We debated. We 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 shared policy ideas and questioned each other. We I played devil's advocate. We had substantive discussions, not just a campaign speech. It was fantastic. And I look forward to doing it again now after so much dread for so many months and so many sleepless nights. And God's got this. Uh, he does. Just pray about it. Uh, if you want to come in Atlanta next year, I want to do it at the Brave Stadium, at the Lowe's, at the Omni Hotel at the Brave Stadium. Um, we're putting things in place. You can text the word Atlanta to 345-345 for the registration link. But now I'm kind of excited to do this again. There is a bit of breaking news I need to bring you up to speed with. Uh, Rick Gates is Paul Manafort's business partner. He testified in federal court today and admits they committed crimes. Uh, Paul Manafort's former business partner told a federal court jury uh, here in Alexandria, Virginia, that he engaged in a seven-year criminal conspiracy with his boss in which he assisted in filing false tax returns, failed to disclose multiple foreign bank accounts, and provided phony documents to banks to acquire millions of dollars in loans. In explosive testimony in the tax and bank fraud trial of the former Trump campaign chairman, Gates said he helped maintain secret accounts in Cyprus, the Grenadines, and the U.K., and in Manafort's direction, Gates testified he did not disclose the accounts to his accountants or federal tax authorities. Gates pled guilty to conspiracy in line to the FBI earlier this year. He acknowledged his own criminal activity in open court as Manafort sat just a few feet away at the defense table. This has nothing to do with the president's campaign. Manafort's just a bad guy and rose too high and got federal notice, and now they're coming to take him down and it looks like former associates of his are going to help the feds take down manafort well I'll keep just stay tuned folks i'll keep you updated